The title for the message this morning is The Tale of Three Cities. The Tale of Three Cities. And our text is Romans 1, 16 and 17, which says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness is revealed from God, a righteousness which is by faith from the beginning to the end. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, by faith. I remember on the second Sunday of this year, dedicating that sermon to the memory of Josiah Neolonga. Uh, he was ambushed by Swapo soldiers in the early 70s in what was then Southwest Africa. And taking out his Bible, he read to his robbers, thinking that by reading from the scriptures, they may think twice about killing him. And also it was an opportunity for him to share the gospel from the last verses of Romans 8, which I preached from that particular Sunday. But alas, they shot him many times. I showed you his Bible in my hand. I've got some pictures. There is the front of the Bible with the one bullet mark in the front. There's his name of his wife and his four children, born in the early 70s. And that's his name also on the page. There's he's got Christmas there, 1976. There you can see Romans 8. That's his blood which was spattered on the pages as he fell to the ground dying. You'll see a couple of pages. There's some more pictures of his blood on those Romans 8 verses. And there's some more over there. And there's the back of the Bible. I can't go into why it was burnt. That's another story. But get the sermon from that Sunday and you'll hear why or how it happened. But there's the bullet at the back of the Bible. Thank you. We can say one thing about Josiah here longer. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, on the 14th Sunday of this year, as we visit these three cities, as we focus on Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, I think of Martin Luther, whose memory I'd like to honor this morning. He said that we need to hear the gospel every day, for we forget it every day. A man who stood against the might of the then universal church in Europe, the Roman Catholic Church, with all his economic and political ties, appearing before the Diet of Worms, threatened with death, he stood firm and said, My conscience is bound to the word of God. I can do no other. Here I stand, so help me God. Luther was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason for his boldness and courage was found in Romans 1 verse 17. As he poured over Psalms and Galatians and other scriptures, he, came, he became fixated with Romans 1 verse 17. He referred to that verse as that place. I wish I could say it in German, but I won't. That place. And Luther called it that. For me, he said, it became the gates of paradise which opened for him and he saw that Jesus Christ took upon himself the wrath of God which he was so afraid of all his life. And in doing so, God passed on to him the righteousness and goodness of Jesus himself. And that day in Luther's life was his new birth experience. For he could see it in his words, the just 
will live by faith. It's a gift from God, salvation. It's not something you earn. It's something Jesus earned for you. And he saw it as a gift from God. That we are to live the Christian life through the only way that pleases God. And that is by faith and by faith alone. He went on to say this. He said, good works do not make a man good. But a good man does good works. Because those works are the works of Jesus Christ and for his glory now, not for our own. Now our text introduces us to dynamite, not dolomite, which is lifeless and dead. Dolomite, no. It introduces us to dynamite, explosive dynamite, which releases great amounts of energy. And wherever dynamite releases its energy, things do not stay the same. That's why churches are always in transformation. Because the gospel should be working and the people should be living by faith. And your personal life should be like that as well. The gospel is dynamite. And we should live like that. And that's why Luther called preaching the release of the living Christ. I love that. The release of the living Christ. As the Holy Spirit broods over the text and brings to you the dynamite of the gospel. That's what a true Bible study really is. And so just as a spark is enough to set dynamite to work, so a little grain of faith in Jesus Christ is enough for the gospel to go to work in your life with explosive differences. Just a little bit of faith. Yes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the dynamite of God, unto salvation to all who believe. Now these three cities which we are going to visit this morning have a formidable array of people, powerful people, who don't want the gospel, who don't like the gospel, who block their ears to the gospel, who harden their hearts against the gospel, who turn their backs against the gospel, but turn on those who dare to stand up and to speak for Jesus Christ. In spite of this, the gospel still conquered the Roman Empire. But where is the Roman Empire today? It's history. Where is the kingdom of God today? It's making history. And it's here, visible, present in your lives, and soon will cover this earth. So the first city we visit this morning is Jerusalem, which will be pretty packed as we come in. This city says that the gospel is superior to human righteousness. The gospel is superior to human righteousness. Oh, Jerusalem, filled with Jewish ritualism, religion, all to establish their own righteousness by slaving away to the demands of the law of Moses instead of obeying the gospel of God's grace in Christ. They cling to the law, which in itself, well it does, it condemns you because we cannot keep it. And yet in so doing, the Jews forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Well, I'll be thankful for many like the Apostle Paul who are turning to Christ today, but yet, by and large, they refuse the gospel. It's tragic. Oh yes, by the way, it is Palm Sunday, I haven't forgotten. It is Palm Sunday. Well, seeing Palm Sunday happen in Jerusalem, let's spend just a few moments on Palm Sunday. <coughs> oh, here he comes. Look, he's riding an animal. I mean, for three and a half years, everywhere he went, he walked. 
but now he's riding an animal into Jerusalem. Something's happening. He didn't want to become king a couple of years ago in Galilee, but he's changed his mind. Hey, yes, we believe he's coming in to make Israel the dominant nation it's always supposed to be. I mean, what more can we ask for when it comes to a king? I mean, a man who can take a little boy's lunch and feed over 5,000 people. A man who just raised Lazarus from the dead. This is him. He's coming in to be our king. Oh, Caesar, your time is up. You better get out of Rome. No more Roman soldiers in our streets. Jesus Christ has come to be our Messianic king. And we've been waiting a thousand years for this day. This is it. And so a nationalistic spirit swept over Jerusalem. All expressed in that one word, Hosanna. Which we have made a word of praise. But it was not a word of praise on the day of Palm Sunday. No, no, no. It was a political nationalistic chant. Something like our Amandla today. Freedom from the Roman Empire. Freedom from these wretched soldiers in our streets. Hosanna. Save now, Lord. This is your day. Make us a great nation. Let us rule the world. Because you've got the power to do it. Oh, my goodness me. This is another tragedy. They did not recognize the donkey. They didn't recognize the animal as a donkey. Zechariah, some 400 years before this, said that he would come riding on a donkey. They didn't see what type of animal it was. If he was riding a horse, he would come as a military victor. But he was coming in as another type of victor. A person bringing in peace. He was not coming to extend Israel's borders, but to extend peace to, to Israel. And what he came to do just six days later, or five days later, he came to take all those things, those written ordinances which were against us, and which condemned us. And he took all of them, and he nailed them to his cross, so that we could have the freedom to trust in him, and commit our lives to him and receive his forgiveness and grace. Yes, it pleased the Father to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things, whether they be on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his cross, through his blood that was shed there. As we leave Jerusalem, let me just read Romans 10, 1-4, and these verses just put the cherry on the top. Listen to these words. Paul writing to the Romans, Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based upon knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own righteousness and did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes, not behaves, believes and goes on believing that's the one who receives God's righteousness as a gift because Christ kept the law on our behalf second city Athens Athens teaches us that the gospel is superior to human wisdom to human wisdom now, if the Jews did not recognize the donkey on Palm Sunday, when it came to the Apostle Paul visiting Athens on his second missionary journey, and while he was waiting 
for Timothy and Silas to join him there, he decided to do a walk about Athens. And Paul was appalled when he saw all the idols. In fact, the Greek word there means that Athens was awash with idols. And it hurt Paul. It, he, was most, he was very distressed. And then he came across an altar. And it said there, an altar to an unknown God. And when Paul saw that, he said, I've got it. I've got the starting point for my next message for the, for the Greeks. And his sermon to the Greeks is very different to the sermon to the Jews, obviously. And so he started his sermon referring to that altar. But I'm not going to read the whole sermon to you, but I just want to get to the punchline of his sermon. It's very important to listen to these words. As he concludes his sermon in Acts chapter 17, he says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man whom he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now listen to their response. When they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some sneered like dogs waiting to attack. Others said, oh, we'll give this guy another chance sometime. You see, Greek wisdom thought that it was foolish to see any value in the human body, in the physical, and to raise it up was sheer folly. After all, the body is evil. It imprisons the soul. Socrates, one of the great Greek philosophers, drank poison to kill himself. Fancy that, self-inflicted poisoning. But as he had drunk it, as he had swallowed it, as it went to work, as it was killing him, he, was still, he still had his students around him. I mean, object lesson. Wow. And as he was dying in front of his students, he said, my soul has been released from my body. But not when it comes to Hebrew wisdom, not when it comes to biblical wisdom. The God of the Bible says your body is something you ought to glorify God with and be thankful for. No matter how much you don't like your nose or your looks, God gave them to you. Thank Him for it. You have a far better self-image of yourself. In fact, the New Covenant, we Christians, the covenant that we are in, tells us that our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are actually bearers of the weight of the glory of God. But God has invested Himself in your body, in your life. I mean, it's just staggering. When a ship is sinking, what do they send out? SOS, save our silver. Save our souls. Save me, my body, my spirit, my, body, my everything. So death to the Greek was a friend. Well, that was Greek wisdom. And you get this in the church today too. You know, death's a friend. It releases you. Sort of thing. No, death is no friend. When it comes to biblical wisdom, death is an enemy. It's the last enemy that will be defeated and has been defeated already. It's an enemy. It separates us from, from people and from loved ones and from God ultimately. And so Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great resurrection chapter in the Bible, he says there that death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? The sting of sin is the law, and the power of sin is the law. And so death is no friend of ours. 
The three great Greek minds were Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. They lived in that period between Malachi and John the Baptist, interesting enough, that 400 silent years. That's when the Greek philosophers really got going. And here are some of the ideas they came up with. First of all, democracy. Democracy is a Greek idea. It's not a biblical idea. It's not God's idea. Well, I can say much about it, but I'm sure you'll be willing to give up some of your democratic rights for a government that will do things properly and on time and in honesty, I'm sure. Anyway, the other thing that the Greeks gave us was sport. They started the Olympic Games. The Hebrew culture was not into sport, but when Alexander the Great had conquered the world, well, into the Hebrew culture came sport as well. They exported sport into the world. And boy, has it not taken over the world today. Driven by money. Now, of course, sport's important. Of course it is. But another thing that they also introduced was leisure. All the Greeks were fond of leisure. They said, no, 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 no. Life is meant to take it easy. We've got the islands around us. Let's look at these beautiful islands we've got. Come on, man. Put your feet up. Sip your cocktails. Be on a permanent pension. Let the people who are slaves do the work. The ideal I like to have is a life of leisure. And so they introduced leisure. Another thing they did, they split things. They split things between sacred and secular. The Greeks split sacred and secular. Spiritual, physical. Spiritual is more important than physical. And into the church came this wretched thing. As there was a split between the clergy and the laity. That's how it comes from the Greeks. And it's still in our church today. And it's a curse on the church. It really is. And so they said, no, you must have a laity who pay the professionals to do the work of the ministry. I mean, that can't be further from the truth. Ephesians 4 says we're all ministers. It's not one minister here. Andrew's not the only minister here. Every single born-again member of this church is a minister. Full minister. Ordained by God. Yes, there are men and women set aside for special ministries who train up the people to do the work of the ministry. Referred to in Ephesians 4, we know that. And so whether you're a, a full-time missionary on the ground or underground, a minor, or whether you're an elder in the church or a keen in the factory, all work is sacred unto the Lord. The only thing that is secular is sin. Sin is the only thing that is secular and anything that serves its purpose. Before we leave Athens, let me just read, as I did before we left Jerusalem, let me just read what Paul said to the Corinthians. Now, Corinth was just a day's journey from Athens, where Paul left Athens, he went straight to Corinth, and Corinth was in the grip of Greek philosophy. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 1. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who believe is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased to the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Well, that sets the seal 
on our visit to Athens. The gospel is more superior to any philosophy and wisdom of this age. Be it Eastern Mysticism, be it Lenin, be it Marx. The gospel wisdom blows all wisdom out of the water. God's wisdom is tops. Let's make sure we get it from Him. Not from below, which is earthly, central of the devil. But our wisdom has come from above. Let's ask for it if we need it and how we need it. Therefore, let us ask for it. Our last city. Our last city before we come to the end of the message is Rome. I wonder if you've been to these three cities. Who's been to all three cities? Ah, Ruth, you've been to all three cities. Jerusalem, Athens, and Rome. Wonderful. I haven't been to one of them. But in spirit, I'll sort of go there. Anyway. The gospel is superior to human power. To human power. See, Rome was the center of one of the greatest empires of the then known world. In fact, it's probably one of the biggest empires that ever, ever has lived. The center of judicial, military, civil, and governmental power. And to see this little Jewish man called Paul, bald, bandy-kneed, hook-nosed, coming in as a prisoner, whose body was marked and pocked with all sorts of marks of wounds through all the inflictions he had received because he stood up and was unashamed of the gospel of Christ. For example, he took five times, he took the 39 lashes, and many a man collapsed and died with just one lot. 39 lashes. Five times. That's just one thing Paul endured for the gospel. We are to take our share of suffering for the gospel as much as the joy we receive from the gospel. I mean, you see this man coming to Rome on a mission for the so-called new Nazarene sect. That's what the Romans called the Christians, a sect of the Nazarene. The Romans had no special appreciation for the Jews. Beside, their so-called Messiah ended up in the most shameful death, crucifixion. I mean, why put your faith in a crucified Jew? I mean, this is all that this poor guy is on about. The cross, the cross, the cross. What's he on about? Christians were seen as poor, weak, and troublemakers. Food for the lions in the Colosseum. Paul, come on now, really. Do you think your message has any power to it? <laughs> Yet when Paul got to Rome, he was allotted his own rented house, guarded by a soldier. For two whole years, he welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he testified to, to the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Later he was released just for a while, but then rearrested and put into the, one of the most hideous prisons in Rome. From there he wrote 2 Timothy. Then the day came when he was called under the orders of Caesar Nero. He left his prison and he was beheaded. And so Paul could say, if you want to see the power of God that supersedes that of Rome, just look at my weaknesses. Look at my trials. Look at my service. And so the church grew in Rome. And it grew throughout the Roman Empire. I want to remind you what happened to Paul in his three cities. In Jerusalem, he was mobbed. They nearly got hold of him, disowned him. They hated him so much. 
He was mobbed. In Athens, he was mobbed. <laughs> What's this guy on about? Peddling some new doctrine about a resurrection. But in Rome, he was martyred. He was martyred. You see, dear friends, when you preach Christ, you upset the Antichrist. You really do. But we have to please the Christ, the eternal Christ, our Saviour and Lord. Forget about the Antichrist. God will deal with him. He'll be sent with the devil and the angels of his to hell together with those who don't obey the gospel. Of these cities, I couldn't help thinking of our city, Cape Town. You know that these three worldviews you've looked at? Religious righteousness, worldly wisdom, carnal power. These three views, these three worldviews are all in Cape Town. They're all here. And that makes me realize, and I hope it makes you realize, that we're not enjoying a picnic as Christians. Always a great joy, and we can celebrate. But we're not on a picnic. We're in eastern Ukraine, in Bakhmut. We're in the heart of the fight. We're fighting the good fight of faith, from victory unto victory, with the cross of Jesus going before us. That's who we are, and that's where we are. The first reading was a David, I think you read it, well, a reading from Hebrews here, and from Psalm 122. That wonderful Psalm 122, which starts by saying, Oh, isn't it great when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Otherwise, to the presence of the Lord. That's what you come to. When you come here, you're coming into a building, but you're coming into the presence of the Lord when you come to the church. And His presence is with you at home, goes with you in the car, and it's here. And it's just wonderful about God's presence when there's a corporate gathering of Christian saints. It's just something special. It's His body. You can't live without your body, and you cannot live without the church of Christ. I've had thoughts like that. Let the church carry on, I'm okay. No, 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 I'm not okay. I need the church. And here these people were in God's presence in Jerusalem. After quite a long walk, they got there, and they were happy about being inside the gates of Jerusalem. But you could see how that connects with Hebrews chapter 12, which talks about being in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the very city whose architect and building is God. Just think of it, friends. Think of the architecture and, th and thoughtfulness and planning that went into the building of this earth with all its various life forms. Think of the architecture and planning and power that went into creating this glorious universe which we saw planets line themselves up from Earth's point of view this week. The, the awesomeness of creation, that God planned it and made it. Now just think of the city that is planned and is building for us. Incredible city it'll be. Eh? It'll be just mind-blowing. That's the place that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. That you may be there with Him one day. In this new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem's moving away. It's gone. All things become new in Christ. The old Jerusalem is going, friends. There's going to be a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, and a new earth. And that reading in Hebrews 12 reminds you that you've come not only to the city of the living God, but you've come to joyful angels in solemn assembly. Of course they're joyful. They rejoiced when you came to faith in Christ. Jesus said, when one sinner repents, there's joy in the presence of God's angels. 
So on that great day, when we come into the Lord's presence finally and fully, they're going to be there with all their joy. One trumpet, there are going to be many trumpets. One set of drums, a couple more. Angels singing, be glorious. Coming to those righteous men whose spirits have been made perfect. Coming to that place where our names are written down. Coming to the mediator of the new covenant. Coming to his precious blood which was shed for us, which speaks a better word than the word of Abel. Yes, we've come to all that. I want to close now by pretending just for a second that Martin Luther is standing next to me. And I said to Martin, you know Martin, you have written over 60,000 pages on the gospel. He was a very, very deep theologian. Martin, you've written, you've written, you've written 60,000 pages of theology. Can you please tell us in 30 seconds what it's all about? Martin, you've stood for the Lord Jesus Christ. Through you, the gospel light shone into dark Europe and dispelled the darkness. What made you so bold and so courageous for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Luther would answer and say, The gospel is by grace alone. It's by faith alone. It's through Jesus Christ alone. It's from the scriptures alone. And to God be the glory alone. That's what his answer would be. Now listen again to this verse that swung open the doors of paradise to Luther. And I pray that the doors of paradise have been opened up in your mind this morning. As the gospel has come to you afresh. That you've come to a fresh commitment. You've come to a time of recommitment. You've come to a time of realigning your life with the will and purpose of God for your life. That from this day forward, God helping you, that your conscience will be bound by the word of God, that you will not be ashamed of the gospel, that you'll give your testimony to those who are willing and wanting to hear while you are so different and so holy. So listen to this verse again. This time from the New Living Translation. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person lives. And so I say to you and to all, go, live, love, and share the good news in the name of the one who loved you and gave himself for you.